Hello, everyone, and welcome back to HOA It's a True Story. Today, we have a returning guest, attorney Alex Nolan. Today, we're going to talk about pets in the HOA, exotic versus emotional, and of course, backyard. If you want to hear more from Alex, you can hear him on previously episode 52. For now, we're going to just say welcome back, and we're pleased to have you on the show. And thank you for joining us once again on HOA It's a True Story. Great. Thanks, Rega. Also joining us today is Bill Mann, president from GB Group, and Kelly Zibel, owner of DC Group. I have to laugh every time I do this. <laughs> Welcome, both of you. Thanks, Reagan. Both the groups here. <laughs> but Alex, just to get everybody caught up, you know, yeah. why don't you take a minute just to talk about your background and your company? Yeah, perfect. Thanks. So yeah, so Alex Nolan's um, HOA attorney, specializing just representing HOAs throughout the state of California, based in San Francisco, been doing this about 16 years, work with all sorts of different associations, you know, condos, planned developments, rural communities, senior housing, townhouses, all sorts of things. And part of being an HOA attorney is dealing with animal and pet issues a lot. <laughs> okay. So we all know the HOA drill of complaints, the people parking and pets, yeah. but what is it about pets that make them such a hot topic in these kinds of general counsel needs? Part of it could be the animals themselves, but I think it's actually the owners, the tenants, the handlers of the animals and pets that cause the problem maybe as much, if not more so than, uh, than the actual animal. And I think in kind of getting to this term pet, which we've all kind of used, right, these household animals we keep, a lot of older CCNRs and documents reference pets, I try to refer to them as animals whenever I'm drafting rules or updating CCNRs because you can make a distinction between what's a pet and what's an animal. So I would encourage everyone who's updating their CCNRs, rewriting rules, talk about animals or animals slash pets, not just pets. We're going to get to that kind of topic about the CCNRs in a minute, but I want to talk first about emotional supports yeah. or animals. Yeah. No, there's a true need for that. There's many folks that really have emotional support animals, but then it seemed to become an abused trend, especially around COVID. How can we delineate between those that are truly needing these emotional support and those that just love their pets and buy the fake certificates in Colorado or Florida? Yeah, for fluffy. So I think before we get to that, I think it would be good to just take a second. What's a service animal? What's an emotional support animal? I think that would be important to clarify. So a service animal is an animal that is specifically trained to assist someone with a physical disability. So a seeing eye dog is what we typically think of, but there are dogs that are trained to help people with mobility that can smell when someone has um, diabetes and the insulin levels are changing and when they need to take their medicine, things like that. Epilepsy. That epilepsy, exactly. There's, I think there's nine or 10 different types of, of service dogs technically. So, and, and service animals are just dogs. They used to include miniature horses, but that was written out a few years ago in the fair housing laws. So emotional support animals are not trained for a specific need. They provide comfort or emotional support or, you know, sort of therapy, mental therapy to, to a person. And they could be any sort of animal. It could be a cat, a dog, a rabbit, a bird. I mean, you know, all sorts of different things. I had an emotional support snake I was dealing with once in San Francisco. And those animals provide some sort of level of comfort. Typically, we're thinking there's post-traumatic stress syndrome or some sort of mental or psychiatric disability. 
So there were a lot of people gaming the system. I think we all saw recently the airlines have, have clamped down on emotional support animals and other businesses. So there actually was a new law that went into effect. I think it was this year or a year ago, where at least in California, I believe, you have to, in order for somewhat for an animal to be an emotional support animal, the person has to see a doctor or therapist that is familiar with them and their, their needs and is willing to put in writing that they've seen them and they require this animal for emotional support. So it goes beyond what people were simply doing of going on the website in Colorado or Florida and getting, you know, adapets.com to provide them some certificate. So when HOAs are faced with, is this an emotional support animal that requires some sort of variance because it goes above the number of permitted animals or it's a type of animal we don't allow, you know, we can ask for certain documentation to validate that, yes, legally, it's an emotional support animal. Because really, be all pets are kind of emotional support animals. Well, yeah, you could argue that, you know, actually. And that's the other thing is, if your CCNR say you can have two animals, and there's no limit on the size or breed of dogs, then it doesn't really matter if you have one dog and it's an emotional support animal, right? The only time it matters under fair housing laws is when you're asking for a variance from a weight limit, a breed restriction, a number restriction, something like that. If the animal complies with the CCNRs, it doesn't really matter if it's an emotional support animal. Well, you talk about breed restrictions and things like that. So you'd brought up a snake. You know, we had somebody else on that talked about a miniature pony and some other things that duck, you know, we heard of a duck. Rabbits, yeah, so. <laughs> birds, hamsters, you know, you can go but what on. What if they're potentially dangerous animals? Right. So I think that if it's, so for example, I think hedgehogs, you're not legally allowed to keep as a household pet in California in a lot of states. So if yeah. it was a hedgehog, then I think we could say legally that animal's not allowed because it's not considered a domestic animal. And I think there's some sort of disease issue that comes with them. So I think we'd be in a defensible position to say that animal's not allowed because the law that bans hedgehogs as, you know, household pets would presumably need to be um, looked at in the context of, of reasonable accommodations. But again, you know, whenever you're dealing with these issues, go to the HOA's attorney to make sure you're addressing the issue appropriately. But I think exotic animals, animals that are not domesticated, like an alligator, no one should, you may have an emotional support alligator, but it shouldn't <laughs> be in the condominium building or in the plan development, <laughs> right? <laughs> so. Well, and even if you go back to dogs, like Bill had brought up about certain breeds, you know, a lot of people have pit bulls. They're very popular pets mm -hmm. right now. And they're often really gentle, loving animals, but there are some that are not. Correct. And so they could be very dangerous to an adult and a child. So what happens? How do you deal with somebody that has a pit bull next door and it's maybe a little bit aggressive? So, you know, if you do have a breed restriction in your CCNRs for animals, then fair housing laws would require the HOA to make a reasonable accommodation to say no pet pit bulls or German shepherds or whatever. You just can't say that when it comes to an emotional support animal or a service animal. However, when you're granting the variance or the exception or the accommodation for a disability animal, it's just for regard to the size, the type, the breed, the number of the animal, right? The physical characteristic of the animal itself. You're not saying the animal doesn't have to comply with other provisions of the CCNR. So an emotional support animal can't eat the lobby furniture, can't commit waste in the hallway, can't attack people, can't jump in the swimming pool. So, you know, you're granting just the variance for the characteristic of the animal, but otherwise 
the emotional support animal needs to comply with the other animal provisions. So question, you know, what's best practice here? Like if, if you were starting a condo building from scratch, like what would you tell your clients to do in terms of documents and like setting yeah. up the document side correctly? Yeah, so so definitely your CCNRs and rules, like I said, refer to animals. Don't refer to pets if you can. When I'm amending or rewriting CCNR provisions relating to, to animals, I put in a paragraph about disability animals or assistance animals, the fact that, you know, by fair housing laws, we will allow animals that would otherwise not comport to the CCNRs, but we can ask for documentation to the extent allowed by law to confirm that they actually are, you know, service animal, emotional support animal, whatever it is. I've had some associations I work with where we've actually done an assistance animal policy or fact sheet or kind of guideline that explains this is what a service animal is. This is an emotional support animal. This is the sort of documentation we may require or will require to grant a reasonable accommodation just to make sure we're doing our job. And if an owner says, hey, that pit bull is not allowed or hey, that 100 pound dog's not allowed, the HOA can say, well, we can't give you particulars, but under law, we've done our due diligence and we must permit the animal. Clients all over the place. So you have rural clients as well as yeah. urban clients. So do you have different animal rules for the associations that are in more rural settings? Would they I, allow I, for like non-domesticated? I don't know if there's a chicken considered domesticated. Well, I think some cities I like allow them or there could be a problem. Ch chickens are kind of a, a, a different thing because of the, the laying eggs and all of that. I do think that when you're in an urban environment like San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego, you know, a lot of condominium buildings, people type together, there tend to be more restrictions on the number and types of animals you have. When you get to rural communities, when you're out like in the Central Valley, right, is that um, we're up in wine country, it could be, I have some associations I work with where you're allowed to have horses or you're allowed to have what would be considered not necessarily domesticated animals, but there's usually rules around that, right? There's certain types of animals, there may be an equestrian center, or if you're going to have a horse, here's the rules about doing it. So I do think that you could allow things that are not, you know, dogs, cats, birds, aquatic animals in an aquarium, but you're going to want your documents to really clarify what those animals are and where they're allowed because you know not every hoa is set up or intended to have farm animals but some are i, I would say it's not the case but it's possible the documents allow for it and horses would be the example of horses or chickens are probably the two things i would think of that are the kind of more farm type animals that some communities and rural locations would allow well we've all heard the story about going into someone's unit and finding out they have a chicken coop on their balcony Right. So, and they're being listed as an emotional support animal for them and they're growing and making mess and smell and that sort of thing. That's not being maintained enough. Yes. Yeah. I mean, one time, so one of, I think it's one of my clients in Santa Cruz, there was an emotional support owl and the owner had caged in part of their balcony to make it basically the owl's cage. And at the end of the day, the owner couldn't get a doctor or a therapist to say the owl is an emotional support owl. The owl went away, as well as the unauthorized architectural modification to include <laughs> the balcony. But people will do all sorts of things, as I think we all know that work in this industry. Say you get a complaint, you know, as a manager about a neighbor and an animal, an owl, a dog, a cat, whatever kind of pet. How do you recommend a manager or a board, if they're 
kind of self-manage handle that kind of a complaint? What's what's the best practice process for that? Right. Well, I think, you know, just getting back to basics, if there's a report of a violation, whatever the violation might be, I think there's an initial obligation to investigate and evaluate, right? And what you're going to do with that is going to depend on what the circumstance is. If someone says, I think Susie has nine dogs in her unit and we can only have two, well, then, okay, the manager or the board needs to think about, is there evidence that Susie has nine dogs? What do we know? Should we just ask Susie if she has nine dogs? Like, figure out what you can do. If it's determined Susie does have nine dogs, then we start going down the tree of, is this a potential disability animal issue, right? And if it is, what sort of accommodations are we making? What's the disability animal? What's not? You know, I've, I've even heard of disability animals needing disability animals, like a companion animals. That's like been a thing. To the extent the animal's not allowed because it's not a disability animal or violates the provisions or whatever, then at that point, it's like any enforcement action. The board is saying, you know, remove the animal if your, your documents allow for that. And then we get into IDR, ADR, potential, you know, court action. What happens if somebody has an animal that's been granted access to their HOA and then they're just not managing it? Are you going back to them? How do you deal with the problem of them not handling the support animal very well? Yeah. So I think if we're talking about the animals not being fed or it's being hit or being cared for, I would generally say that's not an association issue, right? Because it's not our job to make sure that people are taking care of their animals properly. If the animal's barking, scratching the wall, jumping at people, then it's the owner's obligation, whether it's an emotional support animal or just a regular you know, animal or pet that an owner has. So then it would be addressing with the owner the issue that's been shown. And then if they don't correct it, a lot of CCNRs do allow the board to require removal of the animal that could be an extreme case. So did the, if the dog barked twice, that would be an extreme thing to do. If the dog attacks someone, that's a problem. You know, recently in San Francisco, there was an owner, she has some post-traumatic stress syndrome. She had been raped previously, had an animal that did not comply with their CCNRs, went through the process, gave her a reasonable accommodation. About six weeks ago, the dog jumped and tore off part of the face and broke an arm of a resident's guest that was in the building. And in that case, we said we held a hearing as soon as we could and said, your dog has to be removed. And this owner did remove the dog. Luckily, it didn't end up being this protracted legal action. But just because it's an emotional support animal doesn't mean you don't have to control the animal. And whenever there's a dog attack, I think, or an animal attack, I guess, I think get legal counsel involved right away. And then it could be that you're going to require the removal of the animal. Can you give an example of reasonable accommodation to? something more than just a dog or cat, you know, kind of situation where somebody had an unusual pet and you did give it reasonable accommodation. What is reasonable? So under fair housing laws, federal fair housing act, a reasonable accommodation would be something that essentially doesn't require if the HOA grants the accommodation, it's not going to require the association to fundamentally change its operations or administration or cause an undue burden to other owners and occupants, right? Going back to, let's say that you have the dog, that's constantly barking, right? And it's an emotional support animal. That's not okay because that dog is constantly barking, causing problems. If we're looking at from the beginning, someone bringing an animal in, let's say that the hedgehog example, again, I have an mm -hmm. emotional support hedgehog. Well, you're not allowed by law to keep that as a pet. They harbor disease and problems. You can't bring that in the building. And so it's really going to be fact specific on 
on what it is, but I think if it's an animal that's not domesticated, if it's a number of animals that could like result, you know, like I have five emotional support, whatever's, you know, then that could be a problem. And so it's really going to be fact specific on the board's analysis. And the, the fair housing laws require that if we're going to deny a reasonable accommodation, there's a whole like interactive process we have to go through and everything else. So I would caution a board to not simply say fluffy can't come in, right? Fluffy can't come in because of this and engage legal counsel. And just to clarify, you know, reasonable accommodations go beyond animals. It could go to disability modifications, parking accommodations, all sorts of things. But in this, you know, podcast today, we're just talking about animals. So Alex, I know a few years ago, fair housing changed their, provided some additional guidance because this emotional support thing was like in the news, the peacock on the yeah. plane. And I think you had a snake at one time, like I mean, it was a whole thing and it wasn't snake on a plane. It was snake in a building, right? What guidance did they provide? And then how has that changed? You know, what you would tell clients back then and then before now that the guidance has been provided, right. how has that kind of changed over the last couple of years? Cause it's definitely, I think, improved a little bit for HOAs, right? Yeah, it has. Well, it's for anyone, right? That that's dealing with this, not just HOAs, but definitely HOAs. So the the service animal issue was clarified. It's no longer miniature horses and dogs. It's just dogs, right? So that you know takes away. Do we have to allow a horse in the building? Situation with regard to emotional support animals. I don't know if I would say from a federal level there was a big change, but definitely on a state level there was here in California, where now, like I mentioned earlier, you have to see someone who's your treating physician or therapist that has knowledge of your issue that will put in writing that, you know, you have a disability and you require this animal. And I think under that law, I don't remember where it's at, is that a doctor or therapist that basically violates that and didn't treat someone or puts the wrong information, they could actually get in trouble, you know, with, the, with their license or on a misdemeanor standpoint for doing that. I want to switch to Bill for just a second, because being a contractor and going into buildings and units or project worker repairs, Bill, how much notice are you trying to give people with pets in the apartment and how do you deal with that? Well, especially on large projects, we try to get it way ahead of uh, the whole pet issue with town hall meetings and understanding who's got pets, who has dog walkers, you know, our dogs left home alone, particularly if we're like pulling windows out and things like that. Last thing you do is want, you know, the cat out on the scaffolding. So. Um, and then, you know, typically there's a whole notice process we go through prior to working on that specific unit and then working with the owner on any specific things, like if they want to keep the cat in the bathroom or the dog in the bathroom or something like that for the day that, you know, we understand that that's going on. So. Oh yeah. I can't tell you how many times we've had, you know, 10 construction workers running around the street trying to find some new cat. <laughs> that got out but you know we do try to make accommodations but it is a little a little challenging but alex when should the hoa talk to council on the topic of pet problems or modification of ccnrs when should that kind of get put together right well i think with regard to the animal problems so if there's an animal attack or an animal's been acting aggressively i think you're getting reports talk to legal counsel because liability issues right um, secondly, anytime there's a request for a reasonable accommodation for service animal or emotional support animal, you know, check in with legal counsel as this is what we've got. This is what we're doing. Does it look okay? Right. It could be a very quick, you're good to go. 
And then, you know, with regard to other, if you're having issues with animals in the building, so barking or animals being off leash is a big thing, right? One of the associations I work with in the city, they have a courtyard, the units go off the courtyard or front locked gate. And for years, some owners just let the dog run around the courtyard. And then of course it commits waste. It says hi to the UPS guy. It bothers other people. And so when you're faced with an issue where either it's not controlled currently or you've let things slip over time and you need to kind of reinsert yourself and draw the line in the sand, I think getting legal counsel involved to look at, do we need to do new rules? Do we need to amend the CCNRs? How are we communicating the fact that we're now enforcing this going forward when we have it? So it's really just one of those things where if the board's like anything, right? If the board is unclear or films feels overwhelmed or there's a potential legal issue, talk to your attorney it could be a one second call or maybe a you know or one minute call or maybe it requires more involvement like a meeting with the board or something good information well the name of the podcast is hoa it's a true story my favorite time let's always hear the good stories i know you have a lot of them so feel free <laughs> yeah so we had the snake one i mentioned in san francisco which ultimately the snake was not an emotional support snake and left after it got in the vents and went into other people's units um oh, one of my no. favorites i know right <laughs> So one of my favorite stories, and I think Kelly, you may have heard this before. So there was a community I worked with that was out kind of Fresno area, kind of larger lots, more rural. They did have a ban on livestock and farm type animals, even though people had pretty big lots and it was more rural. There was some grandparents who rented their house to the one of the children and the spouse and then the, the, the granddaughter who was in 4-H, I think, in high school. And they had a project with cows in 4-H at school. And so the granddaughter, for whatever reason, decided to bring the cow home and they had it in the backyard. So some board members noticed, some homeowners started complaining. I got contacted. Alex, what can we do? Well, your CCNRs clearly say no farm animals enlist the sort of domestic animals you can have. So we need to tell these people that the cow needs to go. And because the 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 child and his wife and the granddaughter weren't the owners. It was the grandparents. We had to write the grandparents. And there was a little bit of back and forth. And then basically, you know, one day the cow was gone from the backyard and the cow was tied in the common area to a tree by a picnic area. <laughs> <laughs> and there, there the granddaughter is milking the cow by the picnic table that's tied to the tree in the common area. Nice. So I get a call from the manager or the board president, what to do. All right, well, this is a problem. So the cow's no longer on the lot, but I would assume we're not allowing animals in the common area that aren't allowed on lots. So what do I do? This is a weird issue. So I decided, well, if this was on federal land, what would the U.S. government do? So I looked up and they would impound the animal and sell it at auction. So I told the grandparents that if they don't remove the cow within, you know, I think it was five days, seven days, we will impound the cow and sell it at auction. The cow got removed and never came back. <laughs> so, <laughs> worried on my part. I don't know if that really would have happened, but that was the threat that we gave anyway. So. I love that you had to look up, like, what would the federal government do in this case. My favorite cow, moments are usually when I run into something, you know, as a manager or as a board member, because, you know, for our podcast listeners, Alex is the attorney for my association where I live. And we've had some fun issues pop up over the years. And I've just called Alex and I'm like, what do I do? And he's like, I don't know. Let me look it up. And we have to Google something that has popped up that has been very weird. Do you have a story about weird pets, Kelly? No, not weird pets. I've had 
accommodation requests, reasonable accommodation, I can't take the trash out to the the trash because there's piles of trash in front of a unit because I'm disabled and can't get the trash open, which has then generated a whole investigation about what could a reasonable person do to open the trash bin and are we expecting someone to be able to do this who might not be able to do it and how do we accommodate this, but really was someone that had a mental issue and was not taking care of their trash and just there was trash piling up at the door, but it was a whole investigation process and a lot of time on the phone with the attorney about this is what we're doing or these are the next steps we need to do. And then again, we do those steps and then come back and do some more steps and but <laughs> lots of lots of time with the attorney. So if there's anything involving a reasonable accommodation, my advice after 20 years is to just call your attorney and do exactly Absolutely. what they tell you to do. <laughs> Bill, what about you? Do you have a pet story? I don't have any good pet stories. So. Oh my gosh, really? I have a good pet story. <laughs> Early in our career with GB Group, our construction workers were working on an interior in a bathroom area, and we had asked them to put their cats up in a bedroom or something while we were working. Well, lunch break came, our guys left, the wall was open, the drywall was off the wall, and they came back and closed everything up. And during the lunch break, while they were gone, uh, Fluffy got let out by mommy so she could take a break from being stressed out in the bedroom. And Fluffy went and got inside the wall like a curious cat. The guys close it up. Everybody leaves it and goes home. And about 9 o'clock that night, my phone starts ringing. And the guy's yelling at me so loudly I couldn't understand. He kept saying, you've nailed my cat to the wall. And I'm I kept going, what? We didn't nail a cat to the wall. You know, I'm, I'm envisioning some kind of sacrificial looking situation. Finally, we got him to calm down enough to say the cat was inside the wall crying and he was getting ready to take a hammer to his drywall. And we said, wait, just calm down. We'll send somebody over. So our guys went back over, took the piece of drywall off and sure enough, out comes Fluffy. But uh, you nailed my cat to the wall was was the <laughs> message I was getting but uh, yeah those the little curious animals they'll crawl in anywhere I do have one more question for Alex before we sure. go yeah. Alex where do beehives fall into this not all these people have these home beehives oh, yeah. I mean are associations able to do anything about that or are they just considered a nuisance or I think that you, so I've run into this once or twice, usually when you're in the more like rural setting, right? Well, actually right. once I ran into it in Oakland, but yeah, I think that an HOA would be able to prohibit beekeeping and beehives because I think there's the safety issue, right? Because if someone's allergic to bees, there's the nuisance factor of them flying around, going by your food, making noise. And then in some cities and counties, I think actually don't permit beekeeping or you can only do it in certain sort of settings and setups and all this other stuff oh, okay. so, Let's get so, to that. yeah so i think you'd want to look at what's near ccnrs what does the local ordinance say if anything about beekeeping then it's general nuisance and safety concerns i guess an owner you know it's california we love lawsuits we love plaintiffs an owner could sue and <laughs> say right to have a beehive but i think an hoa would be in a very defensible position to say no, unless you're in a development where everyone has five acres and bees are beekeeping is allowed under the documents, then it is what it is at that point. Yeah, we're just running into a lot more of them now on balcony decks and stuff than we have in the past. How yeah. interesting. Yeah, so, but that that's a good question. The chicken thing and the bee thing are both kind of urban 
urban questions. You know, I saw one time, I think they were doing a butterfly farm on their balcony where they had butterflies, like in some netting. And it got to be, you know, who cares? Butterflies don't hurt you, but it was the visual aesthetic thing that the, the board was concerned about. And I think in that case, she removed the butterflies. The owner did without much protestation about the whole thing. But, you know, there's always something. Well, we all know this. This industry, just when you think you've seen everything, the new thing pops up. <laughs> That's right. There's, there's always something. So. Well, should you have a question for Alex, you can reach out to him directly at Nolan Law PC. And if not, you can always reach us at inquiry at gbgroupinc.com and we will pass along that question. Thank you again, Alex. We appreciate having you on today. Yeah, thanks so much. Glad to be here.